If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to John 9. John 9. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called uh, Seeing is Believing. Seeing is Believing. John 9. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. And uh, we're going to look at a familiar story this morning. And we're actually not going to, it's a long story. And we're not actually even going to get through the entire story. Um, but if you could go to John 9, uh, we are going to get there in just a moment. Seeing is believing. Uh, this sermon series, the big idea, uh, is really inspired by this question, this thought uh, that many, probably most of us have had at some point in time in our lives. And, and the thought is simply this. Uh, have you ever thought to yourself, or maybe you've even said out loud, gosh, if I could just see a miracle, um, then it would be so much easier for me to, uh, to believe in Jesus. Then my faith would really grow if I could just see a miracle with my own eyes. And uh, we've either thought this um, or said this out loud. And, and so week after week, we're looking at these different, these seven miracles, these seven signs of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John. John was an eyewitness, uh, a disciple of Jesus. John saw a lot of miracles. And so we're looking at uh, many of these miracles. And as I think about this, this conversation uh, that maybe we've even had with God, God, just show me a miracle. Then that'll expand, help grow my faith. I wonder if God is maybe responding to us, and it's always a little dangerous to put words in God's mouth, but I just wonder if God you know, is looking at us, um, thinking and wondering and maybe even saying back to us, well, what do you want to see? What, what kind of miracle do you want to see? I mean, what's, what's really going to get your attention? And I wonder if God looks at us and, and says, gosh, oh, I have an idea for a miracle. Uh, I'm going to put a, a, a giant rock uh, in orbit, and uh, this rock is going to be able to sustain life on it. It's going to be different than all the other rocks floating around in space, and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be wonderful. Oh, yeah, I already did that miracle, right? And we go, yeah, but that's just kind of science, right? And I don't know, biology and chemistry. And we just kind of dismiss that as, I'm not really sure if that's a miracle, right? I, I, I don't know. It's just planet Earth, right? Or how about this one? God says, all right, I got a better idea. Here, here's a miracle. What if I created a, a 576 a megapixel a camera. Anybody have a, a camera on your phone? It's about 10 megapixels on it, right, or whatever. God's going to give us a 576. He's going to create this out of nothing. And he's going to actually give um, two of them to everybody. And he's going to just stick them on the front of your head. And he's going to attach those uh, megapixel, 576 megapixel cameras uh, on the front of your head. And he's going to attach it uh, to a 3,000 gigahertz computer called your brain. 3,000 gigahertz is roughly the, you know, the, the capacity that we know of. And I'm gonna, God says, I'm going to give you so much memory that you're going to be able to store so much memory, process so many things that you're going to be able to share things from one generation to the next. Oh, yeah, I already did that miracle, too. And we dismiss that as, well, you know, I don't know evolution, biology, chemistry, stuff like that. Is that really a miracle? 
God says, well, how about this one? What if I take um, someone, someone who's really um, um, self-serving, self-absorbed, they've got an incredible platform on the global stage, and what if I get a hold of their lives and transform them from the inside out? I don't know. Let me look on planet Earth. Let me take a guy who's um, got over 100 million downloads, uh, a rapper, a hip-hop artist, a guy by the name of Kanye. I'm going to get a hold of his life, and Kanye's going to make a public profession of his faith in Jesus Christ, and he's going to transition uh, from the old music that he used to produce last two albums, uh, the one is called Jesus is King, and the most recent one that just came out is called Jesus is Born. And oh, by the way, Kanye is married to Kim Kardashian, right? And she's got 111 million followers on Instagram. What if I were to take this guy, Kanye, who has so much influence, such a big platform, I transform his heart and make him a guy who's just this evangelist? And the Christians say, I don't know if that's real. Right? I mean, we are such doubters. We are such skeptics that God can take someone like Kanye West, get a hold of his life, do a miracle in his life for all the world to see, and we are skeptical. I mean, there are, I, I think there are miracles happening all the time in our lives, all around us. And I think oftentimes we fail to see these miracles because we just excuse them away for this, that, and the other. We're just so skeptical. And so I hope I've given you enough time to get to John 9. Because the good news is the ancients were also skeptical. They were people who over and over and over said, I need to see it with my own two eyes. When Jesus would show up, and when Jesus did show up on the scene, walking on water, turning uh, 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 water into wine, healing people, feeding the 5,000. Some believed, but many people said, I don't know, I saw it with my own eyes, and I still don't know if I believe it. And the disciples who had a front row seat they were right there, and they doubted. So let us pray. God, as we uh, prepare to open your word this morning, continue to move among us. As we sang this morning, Lord, open our eyes that we can see you. God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. John 9, beginning with verse 1. John writes, As Jesus went along, he saw a, blind, a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. See, the assumption in ancient times is oftentimes the same assumption that we have today is that there's a causation, cause and effect between sin and suffering. 
It's this idea of karma, right? Many Eastern religions still have this today. And even if um, many Americans don't subscribe to karma as many Eastern religions uh, teach, many of us still think in these terms that because someone uh, is suffering, that there must have been some sin involved. And we ask ourselves, you know, what's, what, what's going on here? And we know as Christ followers that there are many reasons for suffering and hurt and pain and brokenness in the world. And one of them, frankly, is our own sin. We make bad decisions. We sin, and we do sometimes bear the consequences of our own sin, uh, and there is suffering, right? We can all probably think about uh, examples in our own life. Bad decision, now we're suffering the consequences. This is what we parents are talking to our kids about all the time, right? Make good decisions. But another t- other times, um, you might be experiencing some kind of suffering, some kind of pain because of the decisions uh, someone else made. And it could be a family member, it could be a friend, it could be a coworker, it could be someone else. But for whatever reason, you are bearing the consequences and you are suffering and you're in pain because of what someone else did. And the third reason that sometimes uh, we experience suffering and pain is because we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world. We live in a fallen world. When God created the world, it was wonderful. It was beautiful. It was perfect. And then sin entered into the world and everything became corrupt. corrupt. Everything became broken. And so it's just this idea that just sin uh, oozes into every crevice in life. And so sometimes we experience... Um, suffering and pain because of just uh, we live in a fallen, broken world. And Jesus, he's he's always got uh, something to say. And this morning, he kind of uh, invites us to think even more about um, what's going on here beyond uh, these three different ways that I shared with you this morning about um, sin and suffering. Jesus responded this way in verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus says there's another reason why suffering and pain are in the world. It's not just those three. He says that sometimes pain actually has a purpose. Pain and suffering sometimes actually have a pain and a purpose. And we probably came to church this morning and you're thinking, I don't want to hear that right? I don't want to think about uh, the suffering and the pain in my life and that it might actually have a purpose. But as I think about uh, 2,000 years ago, it was a Friday afternoon. A man was hanging on a cross who had experienced and was continuing to go through the most painful suffering that any human being could ever imagine as he hung on that cross to die. And there were the disciples, and there was Mary, his mother, and a group of people looking at that man on the cross, thinking to themselves in in that moment, this has no purpose. This has no reason. Uh, All of our hopes have been dashed. Right? We look to the cross, and we've got the benefit of the resurrection of 2,000 years of history to know that there was purpose in the pain of Jesus Christ. But in that moment, nobody knew about the, pain, the purpose in this pain and suffering of Jesus. And even after the resurrection, when Jesus explained it to the disciples, they're like, oh. And it wasn't until years later 
that people started to really kind of understand this in a more fuller and richer way as Jesus interacted with people. And he said, this is why I had to suffer. This is why I had to die. And Jesus says right here in the story, sometimes this pain has a purpose. He said, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I know that all of us probably know someone who suffered a lot and gone through a lot. And I'll tell you as a pastor, uh, some of the people who have inspired me the most, helped me to grow the most in my own faith, are not the people whose kids get scholarships to go to college, right? <laughs> it's not the people whose kids are like wonder athletes. I mean, love them, great, happy for you. But those are not the people that inspire me. The people that inspire that inspire me to grow my faith are not the, the, the families who, who everything is all put together, right? That they go through life and uh, they never get sick and uh, everybody in their family lives to be 99 and then they die in their sleep, right? Those are not the people that inspire me in my faith in Jesus Christ. You know who inspires me in my faith? The people who are looking, staring at suffering and pain in the face, and they yet continue to walk by faith, right? Those are the people that inspire us, and we can all think about those people. We know those people in our lives. Those are the people who help us to really grow in our faith. We have a couple in our own congregation who's been on an incredible journey of suffering and pain. I met Louie in Maryland uh, about six years ago-ish, and I didn't know him real well, but really the first time I sat down with him uh, was at the hospital over in Peoria. We sat down, and those of you who know Louie or have known Louie in Maryland, um, they've been very healthy. They've lived wonderful lives, wonderful careers, wonderful kids, wonderful grandkids. And I sat down with them at the hospital, I don't know, five, six years ago, and they're like, Marilyn's got cancer. And it's a bad cancer. It's a pretty incurable cancer. And so over the past five, six years, I've walked this journey with Louie and Marilyn. And I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a text at different hours of the day from Louie, hey, Marilyn's sick again in the ER. I'll show up um, either in Peoria uh, or at St. Joe's, or I'll go up, I've been up to Chicago to visit them. And I'll look at Marilyn, and I'm just like, this is it, right? We've seen Marilyn, and she's on death's door, folks. I mean, I just look at her, and I'm like, wow, this is it. And I pray with Louie, and I pray with Marilyn, and she rallies back time and time and time again. And she is sick, folks. And just walk this journey with them. And every time I go and visit Louie and Marilyn, they're so positive. They're just like, you know what? We're, we're just going to keep living. We're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep moving forward. And we're not even going to talk about what the consequences of all this is. We're just going to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I got to tell you, there's just few people that inspire me more than Louie and Marilyn. And they've got this remarkable sense of humor. And if you ever spend time with Marilyn, she's always got her nails done and her hair looks great. And it's just like, wow, you inspire me. So I contacted him this week and I said, can I share your story with the faith congregation? Because they just need to know. You inspire all of us. 
See, those are the people, pain and suffering with purpose. Whether you know Louie and Marilyn or not, you know someone in your life who's really struggling and they keep putting one foot in front of the other. So that the works of God may be displayed in him with this blind man. Sometimes God uses your platform of pain and suffering to inspire others. And I know in the moment it's really, really hard to see. And then Jesus continued in verse 4. As long as it is day, as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And of course, this is the reason why Jesus came into the world, because the world was dark and his light shines brightly. It offers hope. It offers us a new way of seeing. After saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Now, this is a very odd, strange thing, right? I mean, this is one of these stories in scripture that we just look at and go, yeah, I don't get that. And, you know, I, I kind of wonder to myself, you know, what, what are the details of all this? Hey, Pete, um, hey, uh, John, hold him down, <laughs> you know, and just, you know, on the ground, you know, and all the guys are thinking, yeah, Jesus spitting, you know, and next time I spit, I'm going to look at my wife and just say, well, Jesus did it right. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, it's just so gross, right? I mean, it's just gross, you know, and so, you know, Jesus spits on the ground, he makes this mud, and, you know, the, the, the blind guy's just like that, and I don't know if he gave the guy any warning, or he's just like, you know, right on his eyes, and the guy's like, ugh, you know, and I mean, it's just gross, right? It's just a very odd, strange thing uh, that's going on, and, and we don't know all uh, the details uh, of what's going on here. And then in verse 7, Jesus speaks. He said, go, he told him, and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Now this is a foreshadowing of how Jesus would later talk to his disciples and to you and to me. He invites the blind man to walk by faith and not by sight. Literally. Right? That's how he invites us to live our lives. Walk by faith and not by sight. Keep in mind, Jesus hasn't done a miracle yet. He's just spit on the ground, made mud. This guy still can't see. He says, go. Go and, go and wash your face. I mean, oftentimes, we, our, our question, our argument, our conversation with God is, God, first show me a miracle, then I'll believe, then I'll be obedient. That's oftentimes not how Jesus does it. Oftentimes, Jesus says, first I want you to be obedient, and then I'm going to show you a miracle, right? Not always, but oftentimes, obedience, go and wash your face, it begins with obedience, and when we obey then God does something miraculous in our lives. And so many times we're just sitting there, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait for a miracle to show up. I'm going to wait. I don't want to be obedient. But that's not how it works in this story, at least in this story today. He says, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Be obedient. 
So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him beg, uh, uh, seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I'm the man. It's me. Yeah, I'm the guy who used to sit there and beg. Hello. I used to have that stick. I used to have that collection jar. And I was completely dependent on the, 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 the giving of people so that I could live, so that I could survive. He said, but I can see it. It's me. It's his testimony of healing. It's an extraordinary story. And so they say to him in verse 10, How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. Again, very strange. He told me to go to, uh, to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked. I don't know, he said. Now you got it. There, there's some humor in here, right? Think about this for a minute. Jesus heals a blind man. They're talking to a guy who was formerly blind, and they're looking at him going, well, which way did he go? He's like, I don't know. I couldn't see. <laughs> right? Don't miss this. This is, I love how John tells this story. It's, it's, it's absurd, right? They're asking a blind man, where, where, which way did he go? I don't know. By the way, um, just kind of an interesting fact. I don't really know what you want to do with it. But I thought it was interesting that, you know, over and over throughout the Old Testament, there are many recorded miracles. But in the Old Testament, there is never one recorded miracle of a person who was born blind, who was completely healed, who, who received sight. This is the very first time in recorded human history where a person who was born blind got their vision. I think that's, that's pretty amazing. I mean, sometimes we, we miss some of the how extraordinary uh, the story is. Verse 13, stay with me. I'm going to read a bunch here. They brought, uh, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. See, now they were obligated to do this. A miracle had happened. So the neighbors, the friends, they had, they had to verify that this miracle happened. And in their culture, uh, priests, uh, Jewish priests functioned, uh, they had many, many roles. And one of their roles was much like a doctor. And so that the priest could verify that a person was healed or clean. Uh, and in this case, they're trying to verify that he's healed or he's clean, but also that an actual miracle has taken place. And so the, the, the neighbors and the friends and the family, they, they bring them uh, to the Pharisees, the religious people. Now, the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the, ends, uh, the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Now, if there were music playing in the background, it might go, go wah, 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 right? It's the Sabbath. I don't know why Jesus does this, but over and over and over, um, he breaks the Sabbath. In fact, throughout the Gospels, we read seven different times where Jesus is breaking the Sabbath. And I can think uh, every time this happened, the disciples are like, are you kidding me, Jesus? Why not Tuesday, right? 
You could have done this Wednesday, Thursday. Why do you wait until the Sabbath to do these miracles? Because whenever you break the Sabbath, it just irritates and frustrates and makes the religious leaders angry and mad. And that's what's going to happen right now. They're just like, are you kidding? See, the, here's, here's the, the technical um, uh, uh, thing that Jesus uh, breaks uh, on the Sabbath is he makes the mud right? It's spit, it's dirt, and he puts it together. It's like kneading, K-N-E-E-D-I-N-G. I was public school. Is that how you spell it? <laughs> he was kneading the spit, right? He's making this mud, right? And so he was working on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are none too happy. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this, is not, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? Because he was doing this on the Sabbath, right? He's a sinner. So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. See, they were even acknowledging the miracle, right? The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind from birth and had received his sight until they sent for his parents. See, they're verifying here. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Parents' response is very interesting. We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how, uh, but how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Can you put verse 22 back up there, Debbie? I want you to underline this in your Bibles. Who already had decided. They already decided. It didn't matter what the miracle was going to be. They had already decided that they weren't going to believe. They had no room in their worldview uh, for miracles like this. They had no room in their worldview for a Messiah like Jesus. Even before the miracle happened, they had already decided, I'm not going to believe it. I don't care what happens today. I have already decided. They had already made up their mind. They had these presuppositions um, uh, that it, they're not going to believe. Psychologists call this the confirmation bias, right? It's this idea that we all have the things in our head that we've decided that we're going to believe and we're only going to believe these things. This past week, I brought communion to one of our congregation members, and as we sat there having conversation, we were talking about the news and politics and all that wonderful stuff, right? And then this person looked at me and said, you know, I only watch this news station. I don't watch any of the others, right? Because it's just, it's, it's just, this is the only one I trust. This is the only one I want to, right? It's just this confirmation bias because I only want to hear what I only want to hear, right? 
And we all live in this world, right? It's called the echo chamber, right? It's, it's, it's like, Brian is awesome, Brian is awesome, Brian is awesome, Brian is awesome, right? I mean, that's how we live our lives. We all have this confirmation bias. We only want to hear what we only want to hear. And oftentimes, we are not open to the miracles around us. I don't think these Pharisees are any different than you and me. They had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah will be put out of the synagogue. The second time, they summoned the man who had born, born, been born blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know he is a sinner. This man is a sinner. And the blind man replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. The blind man says, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of things in life that I don't know. I don't know uh, who this guy was. I just was doing what I always do, begging. I, I have no way to be able to judge him. I don't know who he is. I don't know anything about him. All I know is just what happened. I don't know. And I think what I want to encourage you to hear in this story, in this words from the blind man, is sometimes I don't know is an okay uh, statement for you to make. I mean, there are so many things that as you go through life that you just don't know. And some of you I know are even stuck. Sometimes you think to yourself, well, I can't buy into the whole Jesus thing uh, because there are some things I just don't know. Here's a guy who had very little knowledge of Scripture, of Jesus, of anything. He's like, I don't know. Right? And, and, and so many different other areas of your life, you're willing to still believe, you're still willing to trust, even though you don't know everything about it, right? Let me give you an example. Do you believe in love? Can you explain it? No, you can't. <laughs> Do you believe in that automobile that brought you to church this morning and, and you're hoping or, you know, trust that automobile is going to get you home after church this morning? Can you explain it? Maybe a little bit, right? Most of us, nope. How about this one? Do you believe in a consciousness? Do you believe that you're conscious? I know you can't explain that. <laughs> I mean, we could argue all day long about different things that we believe in, things that we trust in, but that we truly don't fully understand. And that's this guy's testimony. That's his story. It's like, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know what's going on here. See, this man was willing to believe and trust in rumors about this healer, this guy by the name of Jesus. And he's just like, I don't know. He says, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And that's the story. That's the testimony of millions of Christians today. So much I don't know. So much I don't understand. But one thing I do know, 
I was blind, and now I see. At some point in time, Jesus came to my, I met Jesus. I was at the end of my rope. I was worn out. I had nowhere to go. I was lonely. I was tired. I was addicted. I was at the end of all my limitations on this earth. And it was just, I, I was done. And at some point in my life, I either got on my knees or I prayed some kind of prayer and said, God, I am done. I quit living life for me, trying to do it on my own. And I just surrendered. I don't know. All I know is I was once blind, and now I see. That's a pretty good testimony, I think. See, we don't have to know everything about Jesus. We don't have to know everything about the church. You don't have to know everything about God. They never taught me how to make mud in seminary to you know, put on people's eyes. There's a lot of stuff I don't know either, right? There's a lot of stuff you don't know. And this man's testimony is, I don't know. All I know is I was once blind and now I can see. And I want to encourage you this morning. As you're thinking about miracles in this world, maybe Jesus is doing a whole lot more than you could ever imagine. Maybe you and I have just been blind to his very presence in our lives. So let us pray and invite Jesus to open our eyes again. God, we thank you for this miracle, for this sign. Some guy just sitting there and you came along and opened his eyes. God, that's us, beggars on the side of the road. Some of us are just more honest than others. But Lord, we certainly have nothing to offer you but surrender. And so God, open our eyes, heal us, renew us, encourage us, help us to see the dozens and dozens of miracles that we walk past every single day. And then as we experience them, transform us and just make us humble and grateful for your presence in our lives. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.